Welcome to the New America NYC podcast. This event was recorded on February 4th, 2016, and is titled Where to Invade Next, a social cinema screening, and features Tia Lesson, producer of Where to Invade Next, and Academy Award nominee and winner of the 2008 Sundance Grand Jury Prize, Andy Stern, former president of the SEIU and author of Raising the Floor, How a Universal Basic Income Can Renew Our Economy and Rebuild the American Dream, Georgia Booth, Vice President for Child Welfare and Family Services at the Children's Aid Society, and Liza Mundy, Senior Fellow of the Better Life Lab at New America and author of The Richer Sex, How the New Majority of Female Breadwinners is Transforming Sex, Love, and Family. Liza Mundy, I'm a senior fellow at New America doing work and journalism and writing around um, a number of the issues, particularly work, family, leave, and gender equality issues discussed in this film. So uh, to get started, I have a question for you, Tia. Um, I'm wondering if you see this film as somehow lighter than some of uh, Michael Moore's past films. It, it obviously has a wonderful sense of humor to it. Those of us who write and work around social policy issues um, having to do with gender or leave uh, sometimes, I think, face the um, sort of dismissive argument that these are soft issues or light issues. And I just wonder if you've encountered that at all or, or what you would say to that. Well, I... Thank you for the question. I think, look, there is nothing soft about gender equality. You know, there is nothing soft about child welfare. Um, I think that because some people interpret these as women's issues, they think of it as a soft issue. And I, we've seen many reviewers refer to this film as, as a soft film, but I think it's, there's a lot of simmering anger in this film. And, you know, I've worked with Mike off and on for 20 years um, on most of his films, and he has the same passion, the same anger, and the same, you know, radical spirit behind each and every one of them, and I think it sort of culminates in this film. Was there any particular incident or conversation or inspiration that led to, led to this idea? You know, I think this has really been in the making, you know, in Michael's mind, you know, for at least 20 or 30 years. He... Um, talks about having gone to uh, Europe for the first time when he was 19 um, after he dropped out of college. And uh, he just, you know, observed all sorts of different things that they do there that, you know, he thought might be good ideas here. So, you know, I think Michael's at the time of his life where he's interested in solutions and he's kind of done waiting. And so many of these things have been figured out by other countries. um, And we know very little about that. Um, So this was an attempt to, you know put that on screen. So what would be the hoped for outcome of a film like this? I mean, I saw it a couple of days ago in the screening version and ever since I've, I've had trouble thinking of really anything else and I'm trying not to fixate on the Italian lunches. Um, uh, uh, but but I, I do find myself thinking about uh, the... Uh, the, the three uh, Icelandic CEOs that are that are just certain images. Um, so is the is the goal to sort of set off kind of epiphanies in individual minds, or is the goal um, policy change? Is it an accident that the film is being released during a presidential campaign year? What would be the hoped for outcome? I mean, first of all, with any movie, you hope that people are going to, you know, collectively, you know, experience something new and different and. And, and feel less alone 
in the watching of it and and maybe you know want to go out and do something you know if they want to have a conversation about the film if they want to have a conversation about how they're doing things in their school cafeterias or um, you know gosh darn it why don't we why aren't, why aren't those bankers in jail you know and I think each <laughs> of these different um, uh, countries each of the different scenes in the film suggest you know very powerful policy moves that we can have here in this country and there are certain candidates that are advocating many of these policies but we have to have the leadership from you know the people um, and so this is an attempt you know in popular culture to foment some of that leadership Okay, so Georgia, what what scenes are you are you obsessing about? Uh, what particular issues um, struck you, or what are your most powerful impressions having watched it? Oh boy, there are so many. Um, I think for me, um, the issue around education um, is paramount because I work with. Uh, young people who grow up in poverty, are, their lives are impacted by that, and we all know that the way out of that is to get an education. On Tuesday this week, I went to Albany with a group of about 80 staff and kids from across New York City um, talking with the legislators about making college affordable for kids that are in foster care. Imagine these kids have been taken out of their homes through no fault of their own, um, and put in a system that they've lived in for years. And they're now 18, they want to go to college, and there's very little help there available for them. And when they're there, um, they struggle to stay there. And if you think about what kids overcome who are in care and who grow up in these circumstances to graduate high school, to get into college, um, it breaks my heart. I work my butt off with my team to make sure that they stay there. And these kids were so angry on Tuesday. So, f you know, for me, I guess it's a sense of hope, you know, listening to staff members and legislators listen to these kids talk about their story and how much they don't want to become a statistic and how much they desire to have a better life for themselves. And all they're asking for is a little bit of help. Um, and, you know, that was really hopeful for me, and that played right into, um, you know, watching the movie and thinking about, you know, this is part of what we need. Those kids felt so proud that they were able to participate and be part of the process. And the other, I guess, thought I had is, you know, what's wrong with the rest of us? <laughs> you know, not just the film, but all of us as individuals, as human beings, who see these things and we don't agree and we don't support and we're comfortable sitting in our living rooms and in our situations in our lives and we're not out there. You know, why aren't we out there? Um, it was impactful what these kids were able to do on Monday. And I think all of us could take a page out of that experience and, and try, to do that, try to do that ourselves. And what about you, Andy? What, what, what were your initial thoughts and impressions or the most powerful? Well, I, I mean, I found it personally very provocative. And maybe as an organizer, it reinstilled a lot of anger that sort of I had forgotten about. Reinstilled anger. Reinstilled anger. I mean, I, I still do remember when we used to say America had the greatest middle class in the world. 
and it was pretty much true. I, I sat next to, when I went to work, the sons and daughters of coal miners and construction workers in Pennsylvania, no college debt, parents owned a home, could raise a family, retire with dignity. That was the American dream, and it worked. Spent the end of my life fighting against Walmart with the family as $145 billion collectively, and they pay their workers $10 an hour, and fast food workers who are you know, fighting for decency. And the other day I got a call from a friend of mine whose son has raised money for the janitor in his school at a very elite school who hasn't seen his daughter for nine years. He did GoFundMe, and they had a fight with the administration to get the kid... Uh, get the father two weeks off so he could go visit his daughter after nine years. And th this is America, and here are all these solutions. And there was a very famous philosopher from France, which I guess we can now talk about, you know, who once said, uh, the greatest of America is not that we're so enlightened, but that we can fix our mistakes. And we seem really unable to fix our mistakes. And wearing a hat that says, make America great, or saying we're going to carpet bomb another country is not greatness, and we need to choke at that wall and knock it down. Well, as somebody who's worked on these issues, you know, for so long and, and devoted your career to them, watching the, watching the film, do you feel at the end, you know, do you feel more inspired than depressed or vice versa? You know? but what's inspiring is that there actually are answers. And for someone like me who's thought a lot about this, even to learn how profoundly you know, widespread our answers, you know, just seems to be, where is the arrogance of America that we can't learn from other people? And obviously there are lots of things to learn, there's lots of things to teach, uh, but I think, you know, pride cometh before the fall, and if we're not very careful, there's going to be a big fall. What about you, Georgia? More, uh, more optimistic after you, after you saw it, or? Um, I would say a, a bit of anger, but also, um, you know, trying to, I think in thinking about it, it's like, you know, where do you start? You know, how do you mobilize? And I think this is a great opportunity for us to begin to have conversations about this and try to figure out as a society. I mean, at the end of the movie, when I, because I, I previewed it before, um, you know, I just was so angry and so sad you know, and I kept thinking, where's our humanity? Where is our sense of, of dignity? And, you know, somewhere along the line, we've lost that. And, you know, how do we, how do we get that back so that we really do care about our neighbors and, and what's going on and that we get to a place of discourse and not, you know, denigration and not, you know, we, we've somehow lost our way. But also hopeful in the context of, me being in Albany with those young people and knowing that we have the opportunity, even with uh, kids who often feel like they don't have a voice and they can't have impact, that even they can have impact. And I think the rest of us really can do something about it um, if we get to doing it and not just sit by as passive receivers or passive, you know, audience members of kind of what's happening around us. You know, I, you know, I think Michael makes a really good point, you know, with how things, fast things change right now. And so, you know, for people that used to think it took decades to make something different, and he talked about, you know, marriage equality and other things, I just think we need to appreciate, you know, that, that things can change, and we shouldn't get despondent, we should get organized.
Right, it is. I, I, I mean, that was certainly the final message of the film, that the Berlin Wall fell and, and, and same-sex marriage became the law of the land, and who would have seen it, either of those things coming. Um, but I think, for me, that one of the thought-provoking questions is, you know, how do you get buy-in on some of these issues, like, uh, like free college education? You know, some countries seem able to get buy-in. You know, there's some European countries that have gotten buy-in on the idea that you need 40%, 40% of corporate boards should be female. And I actually, I thought it was interesting the point made in the film that actually there's a law that 40% should be male as well, that you don't want to get, I, I never really thought about that, or that you even might need that. Uh, but it is, it is interesting that you're able in some countries to get really pretty swift buy-in. I spent some time over the summer in Norway where there is the, you know, the, the law now that 40% of corporate boards have to be women. And the buy-in happened pretty fast and people became used to it pretty fast. And so we're able to get but, but in this country, certain issues have taken decades, and we still haven't gotten by yet. I think, there's, I think there's popular agreement that there should be an equal rights amendment, for example. There's popular agreement that our kids shouldn't be eating crap for lunch. Right, right yes. There's a, and the, the problem is that there are corporate forces, I think, that have bought and paid for our legislators, and so we can't get certain policies you know, passed. But I think, I believe in you know, the, the power of the groundswell. And we see that, you know, with the Sanders campaign, but we see that um, people are fed up and, and, and maybe they're not going to take it anymore. I, I, I think that we know there are solutions. We know there's money. If there are billions of dollars to pay for, you know, the wars in, in Iraq and Afghanistan that have only given us death and, and, and crisis, you know, there is money for our domestic solutions. Let's stop fucking up the rest of the world <laughs> and let's start fixing ourselves. And I think in some ways we're actually seeing the two different choices we face as a country. You know, you see the Republican debate, which is all about who we hate. And you, you do see on the Democratic side this whole discussion about free college education or, you know, improving universal health care. And so I, th I think we now see there are really choices to be made. And when there are choices to be made is when people should be angry and do something about it because that's when change happens. There was an interesting decision that I thought in the film, um, at, toward the beginning, Michael Moore says, you know, I know that all these countries have, have problems. Like, you could nitpick. You could nitpick the choice of Italy, say, because, you know, Italy does have its own problems. It has a declining fertility rate, you know, that incredibly happy couple. I don't know, do they have kids? Um, uh, because... A lot of people don't there anymore. And it's interesting, he just made the decision at the very beginning, and as a writer, I can say that often your editor won't let you do this, where you just say, you know what, I know there are problems, I know it's complicated, but I've come here to pick the flowers, and I'm gonna write about the policies, I'm gonna talk about the policies that work to show them up, to show them as models. This, is, this isn't a film about Italy. It's not a film about France. This is a, you know, Michael's challenge, our challenge was let's make a film about this country without shooting a frame here in the States. But this is not about Europe. This is not about Tunisia. This is really about the US of A and we didn't film here. I mean, we, we used some archival footage to, I think, great effect. Right, right. But yeah. we all know the problems. We, 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 we live with the problems in our own homes, in our communities. And I think, you know, Michael's hope was that we would, we would feel that as we were seeing, you know, the solutions in the other countries. Um, so that, so as, and, and as American filmmakers, we felt absolutely their problems. 
to be looked at, from the migrant crisis to unemployment to other. But those are those are things we the media does quite well right. in this country right. at spotlighting. Right. Um, and we'd love for the media to challenge some of these notions of you know that that we can't afford this. Right. And we'd love right. to see the spotlight on these other issues. Right. I mean, I would agree. It's you know, it's not like we're not spending this money. We're spending tons of money on education. We're spending tons of money on healthcare. We're spending tons of money on, you know, our prison system. You know, the money is being spent. The question is, you know, is it being spent the right way? Um, you know, and and where does the money go? There is there, you know, it's it's interesting whenever you know. Um, Whenever in, in a nonprofit sector, because we often come under a lot of criticism, you know, um, from you know conservative groups about how we do what we do, you know, they're willing to, you know, pinpoint whether it's the 0.01 percent of fraud that's in welfare or you know, um, you name it, you know, they're willing to uncover all of those things, you know, but some of the you know, the 59 point something million, billions of dollars we're spending on defense. Like, who's holding that? I mean, who's holding that amount of money account? Who's, you know, opening those books and looking at that and looking at what's going on and where money's kind of falling off the back of trucks, you know, at beginning or end of wars? Um, so the issue is not about resource. The resources are there. We're choosing them. We're choosing to spend those resources and you know expense them, in, in ways that are not smart. You know, as as uh, as a country with so much, um, you know, we, we have some of the smartest people in the, on the planet. You know, but we we often do some of the stupidest things for the for the dumbest reasons. You know, we, we go against our own best interest. Clearly, it's better to provide health care up front than to pay for someone to be in the hospital for two days or, you know, or, or three weeks. Um, we know this, so it's not like we don't know the information. And, and, you know, that's where the struggle is, is how do we find the will to, you know, not just get conversation about it, um, you know, but to be able to influence what's happening in, in, the, in the, you know, the kind of the political sphere to get traction behind, you know, all of these things. So, well, in Iceland, after the 2008 crisis, there was a popular uprising. People took to the streets. Right. These are, you know, I don't know how many people have been to Iceland, but these are not agitated folk. And they would not allow this to happen, and they would not allow their bankers to go scot-free. And they took it very seriously. And, you know, to this day, not one of our bankers have been held accountable criminally, civilly for the 2008, for the world financial collapse. And that's what I thought was so a little bit different and great about the movie is, you know, Michael didn't skewer anybody really, you know, then a little bit about George Bush and the letter W. But... You know, he really just allowed you to draw your own conclusions from what you saw around the world. And it made you angry, not because he was blaming anybody, but you said, here we are in the greatest country on earth, supposedly. We have a huge set of problems. There's all these answers around the world. And, you know, draw your own conclusion of you don't have to be mad at anybody other than yourself for not sort of fighting for things that can actually solve problems. What I wondered was whether those Icelandic bankers were being marched off to a humane prison, were they? They go to Norway, they outsourced it to Norway. And whether the film would endorse that. 
As long as they're not doing harm to the rest of us, I think <laughs> they're far away. I, vis I was out there, they're very far away, and they're playing chess, and they're not you know, able to make you know, tra financial transactions, and I think we're all safer for that. Now, one person Michael is taking on right now is Rick Snyder, you know, the governor of Michigan, who right. Right. You know, willfully poisoned the, the children in, in Flint because, you know, he says they were trying to save money. Right. And by trying to save a few million dollars, it's going to cost billions of dollars, and 6,000 children have, have irreversible brain damage. So... Anyway, Michael is taking on, you know, I was just, I'm glad he is. I was just saying in this movie, I thought it was unique in the certain sense that he, you know, provoked you without having to be mad at anybody particularly other than your own, you know, at, you know, unwillingness to confront the reality that we could confront right here in our own country. Yeah, I would agree that it really felt that way. So we have a, a big audience here, and I'm sure we have questions. So I, I'd like to go ahead and open it up while we have time to questions. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Great. Just like two Hi, uh, thank you very much, and thank you especially to Tia for all your great work with Mike all these years. Uh, it struck me that this would be an absolutely amazing movie for civics teachers or teachers of international cultures, but there's also full frontal nudity. So I'm wondering if, among <laughs> other things, <laughs> and all sorts of other stuff, but um, so I'm sort of wondering, are there plans to have this deployed in schools? And if so, um, you know, is there another cut involved? That sex ed class. Also. And the sex ed That's class, right. which some people, and, and <laughs> yeah, abortion. The, and, the yeah, the MPA gave this an R rating, which was stunning. And actually, the full frontal was was par was part of it, but um, they also cited the 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 the, um, the violence, the Eric Garner's execution, as one of the reasons. And they cited um, the uh, uh, the a lynching photograph. I'm sorry, this, it's a R? lynching. This it's R? this. Film is rated R. So, if you know any people under 18, please take them to this movie, and we are happy to tell you how to sneak in if you are under 18. Um, we hope it. Yeah, no, it's it's outrageous. It's really outrageous, especially when you know what's out there that's rated PG. Um, there's nothing in this film that you don't you can't see it, you know in the nightly news. But I think it's a very you know old rating system and. It's working against us, but yes, we, you know, every one of Michael's films, um, from Bowling for Columbine to, you know, Fahrenheit, Sicko, they, we've had, you know, educational curriculums. We've had great success um, putting that in high schools um, with an R rating. It makes it a little more challenging, um, but we're always up for that challenge. And I don't think Michael intends to edit this film. He never does. Um, so maybe it will be a draw for some people, although. That full frontal. If there was, the, the, it was. Let me just be clear about the full frontal nudity. It was. It was. It was the male nudity that I think was of concern. But there were there were two women that were also nude. That's acceptable, I think, in most yeah theater movie theaters. Um, yeah, the Germans do go nude. They they say it's a hygienic thing. But anyway, yeah. Um. If I could, uh, I'd like to applaud the uh, challenge to exceptionalism that's implicit in the film. Just curious, not to be the guy who points out the elephant in the living room, but um, most of those societies, most of the countries you focused on are not only much more egalitarian than the US, but also ethnically and racially much more homogenous. Uh, 
although we tend to sing hymns to diversity, it's often celebrated, to what degree is diversity here a handicap towards the kind of social and political and economic reform? Uh, we see something with Bernie, we see something even with Trump, where you're seeing a little bit more <clears throat> cross-racial <clears throat> and, and, and a sort of a sense of we that's triumphing over the diverse fragmentation. But I'd just like to get your sense about that and why that wasn't referenced in the film, too. That directed at any particular panel? It's a general panel question. I mean, I will say that there, you know, if you look at the classroom in France, that is quite diverse. I mean, I think it's, it's fairly clear that, you know, assimilation and diversity are challenges now everywhere in the world, a lot of it because a lot of it's happening very quickly, you know, and some of it takes a lot of time, but, but it is a lot easier in homogeneous societies. There's been a whole bunch of studies up in Scandinavia, what the effect is, you know, of providing welfare when the people are all white versus when they're diverse. And I just think it's, it's a legitimate challenge that probably happened when Irish and Polish people first came to our country as well. It's just a question of, you know, time. And obviously race is a huge factor, you know, beyond ethnicity, you know, everywhere in the world. And we're seeing it with a lot of right-wing uprisings and stuff that has to be managed and dealt with and brought out into the open like Black Lives Matter and others are trying to do. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, what it comes down to is being able to have conversation about things that matter to people. There is not a person, regardless of race, creed, age, gender, that don't want to see their kids be able to go to college not, and not end up with $100,000 in debt afterwards. I mean, it is finding those commonalities, right, across race rather than continuing to exploit the differences. We know they're there. We know their challenge is there. Um, you know, we're not all going to agree on everything. That's the beauty of being in this country. But I think we have to find those, those points that we can all agree on and use that as a way to mobilize people um, and to get the change um, to happen. Uh, you know, whether you're in Florida, or Nevada or Wisconsin, you know, everybody wants their kid to be able to get an education. Everybody wants to be able to go to the doctor and get health care and not feel as if, you know, um, you should have to become poor to do that. Um, so, you know, the question is, is there the will to rise above and try to unite people around the things that are within their own best interest? And we as citizens and, and as folks in the media have to stop. I mean, it's, there's so many issues. When you watch sometimes the town hall meeting, the questions that people are asking are so much more poignant than questions that are coming from reporters to, put, to folks that are on the stage. Um, you know, it's, it's just appalling to me that, that you know, we've become so okay with, you know, the tagline or the, the, the you know, the soundbite, um, you know, that we're not willing to push and ask and request that people go further 
and really try to get to the heart of what do these people think from a, from a policy perspective? What do they want to do? And is this in my best interest? You know, I, and I, don't, I don't have a solution as to how we do that other than we have to begin, and I'm hoping that a lot of people go to see this film because I think it will engender a lot of discussion about how we do that. We have to unite people around the things that we have in common. Well, I've been told that we have a hard stop at nine, and I was sorry, but I must say that that is such a, a wonderful and complete summary of, of the issues that I think actually it feels quite satisfying to end there. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons attribution 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.